Welcome to the Happy Holy Podcast. I'm Anna Marie Frank, a doctor of traditional naturopathy and certified brain health professional. Now, those of you that know Happy Holy You, you know that we are all about health and well-being, and we combine all the physical aspects, nutritional aspects, as well as the energetic and emotional aspects to well-being. So on this podcast, you guys, you are going to get a variety of information with different topics that can range from brain health all the way to how your energy field impacts your overall health and well-being. Now, let me remind you that we are not giving medical advice on this podcast, and these are just our personal experiences and information that we are sharing. If you do have any physical or any mental challenges going on in your life, we highly recommend that you seek a medical professional that you have a strong relationship with. All right, you guys, we are going to get started. So here we go. Hey, you guys, welcome to the Happy Whole You podcast. Today, I have Phil Catchitall with me. He is a celebrity trainer and the founder of Trained by Phil, iFit host and athlete. And he's going to talk to us today about four tips to master the balancing act of work, wellness, and life. Plus, he's going to share with us the dark side of working out too much and eating too healthy. So get your notepads out, grab these tips, and see how this can support you on your wellness journey. Here we go. All right, Phil, thank you for joining me today on the Happy Whole You podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's great to be here. I'm excited. Well, let's just jump right in. And you have such a unique and beautiful story. If you could share with our listeners, you know, a little bit about yourself and what got you to where you're at today. Yeah, so it's true. I've lived a lot of life in a very short period, but long story short, so I'm the youngest of four and I was kind of the, actually, I was an accident, a happy accident, but I had childhood leukemia from three until eight growing up in Montreal, Canada. And so, yeah, I definitely play hockey and speak French. But yeah, I mean, (laughs) cancer will change anybody's life, but especially getting it so young as a kid. I mean, I knew all about what chemo I was getting and lumbar punctures and blood draws and what was going in. So just from a very early age, I had this deep, deep fascination with the human body. And I had, you know, I'm grateful I was born to two loving parents who did everything and had good older siblings. But essentially, I did I did feel loved and supported, but I understood that I had like a bad thing and that like I might not make it. And I saw other little kids in the Montreal Children's Hospital also with leukemia, you know, pass away. So the older and older I've gotten and the further I've separated from that, the more I've realized like, oh, wow, like, you know, on a therapy level, like survivor's guilt and all these things, but also like, oh, that's why I'm really good at being present in the moment or managing time and all these things is because I know firsthand what it's like to, to maybe have today be that last day. And I hate that cliche of like, live every day like it's your last, but it really is true, but it's really hard to get that perspective without physically confronting it. And then after I was cured and all better when I was 11, my father passed away from lung cancer, totally unexpected. We grew up Mormon. I'm no longer Mormon or religious, but uh, you know, family values, all that didn't drink, didn't smoke. So the lung cancer was a crazy out of left field thing for him. And he was a runner and a bodybuilder. So my family all of us today, all four siblings are fitness freaks. My mom probably has the best abs in the family and does yoga and works out and eats healthy. And we all married people who are probably even more fitness freaks than us. Uh, not in a bad way, not obsessive, but just like healthy and really wanting to 
be present in life. So that's kind of the short version of it is just whether I wanted to or not, my life kind of forced me to confront my mortality. And I, I chose to take it head on by now devoting my life for the last 18 years and counting to helping other people be happy and present and be as healthy as possible while still being balanced and not being obsessive. I've also dealt with, you know, many clients with orthorexia, anorexia, bulimia, other eating disorders, steroid use, all of that. So it's just the whole thing fascinates me. And I'm really grateful to do what I do as a result. Wow. And how old were you when you were diagnosed? I was just shy of my third birthday. So I do have memories of the treatment and being bald in my kindergarten photos and stuff. I don't remember the first year or so, but yeah, I mean, it was a better part of my childhood. And now that I have kids of my own, I can't imagine when they get a cold, I freak out. So I can't imagine what my parents were going through with me being so sick at a time when leukemia is rather curable. I believe that it's over 90% in children now. Back then, it was not the case. It was still a coin flip or worse, you know? Yeah. And so you, from literally three years old until 11, you went through that journey? Yeah, it's kind of this situation where every year that you get more removed from it is better, right? So like Mm -hmm. super aggressive for the first year. And then the second year, it was still getting treatments and uh, lumbar punctures and things like that. And then by year eight, like when I was eight, they had decided that like it was far enough in remission that they considered me cured, quote unquote. But yeah, it wasn't until I was like 11, 12 to where they're like, okay, you're going to have like normal puberty and grow up and like essentially where they were like, all right, it's almost as if it never happened. So yeah, it was like five years of active treatment slash recovery. And then still, you know, I still go get my blood draws every year. I still for life, like I've always had lower platelets and lower white blood cells than anyone else, you know, but I don't have anything and clearly am healthy. But yeah, it's something that definitely shaped so much of that childhood. And I didn't even realize it at the time. Yeah. Wow. And, and you said survivor's guilt. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and share with us? Like, what is that like? Really? It's interesting that you, you know, I I realize I brought it up, but I think sometimes I say it and then people go, oh yeah, that sounds like a hot topic or like a zeitgeisty psychology thing, but it's the very real thing. And basically like I saw other moms and dads loving their little boys and girls and those kids died. And then some of the families, you know, fell to alcoholism or suicide. Like when you lose a child, I can't imagine what that's like, but it just tears your world apart. And so I realized that like there were so many times, like years at a time, months at a time, decades at a time where I would be like almost feel guilty or like, I would have to be doing so much to earn being alive because I got to stay alive and the other kids didn't. So like, you know, I was, by the time I was 25, I was married with three kids. I already had my MBA and that was even accounting for taking two years off of a Mormon mission back when I practiced that. So like I've lived life in the fast lane because I just, I always felt like I had to earn and, you know, that feeling of being enough. I know it's used in different contexts for different people who don't feel enough. But for me, it was like, I feel like I have to earn my place in being alive because I was gifted life. And it took a a lot of uh, uh, therapy and undoing to realize now, like, call it, call it divine, call it luck, call it whatever you want. But like, I don't have to earn being alive and turn that instead into gratitude, but also like giving myself the ability to take a break and realize I don't have to be all gas and no break. Like I'm, a, I'm of no use to anybody or myself if I don't ever slow down and exhale a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that's very, very interesting, very interesting. And 
why do you, okay. So why do you think that you went through what you went through getting to where you're at now in your life? Do you see a bigger picture of, I always say why we are allowed to go through that. Like I look at, you know, some of the darkest moments in my life and versus asking like, how could that happen to me? Why did I do that? It's it's like you said, getting to that gratitude and being like, okay, why was I allowed to go through this? Why was I chosen to go through this and to get to the other side of it? Because the other side of it is where, you know, I feel like we can show up and help humanity. But what do you think your bigger calling is? That's something that I've been kind of reflecting a lot on. My kids are getting a little bit older. And again, so I'm only 35 now. And like I said, so I've also been divorced because when my ex-wife and I stopped Mormoning, you know, we joked, stopped Mormoning, but we kind of had like a little, you know, loss of religion is a whole new identity crisis in terms of, well, I don't believe in God or heaven or hell or do I or don't I or, you know, whatever. So it all kind of connects because then, you know, her and I are still great friends. We live on the same street. I'm remarried and have a new wife and a child. And then my three with her and we all have this kind of cutesy blended family. But I've been through sickness, lost a parent when I was a child, marriage, divorce, children. By 35, I've done like the four big pillars and then some. And yeah. part of that is my own choices and learning. But I'm a believer. I'm a very optimistic person, but I'm not like a everything has a reason person because then I would have to explain all of the terrible things in the world that I don't think have any reason, like all of the wars and the children getting murdered. And like, I don't think there's any reason. I think it's just luck and bad luck. But I do think we, as the authors of our own lives, get to ascribe the meaning we want. So I choose to look back in my past and think, oh, wow, having been through sickness, having lost a parent, having been through moving and living in different countries and learning different languages and seeing different socioeconomic classes and having health and being on top of the world and then losing it and then being married and being religious and then being divorced and then re- like I choose to subscribe to it that I can have all of this empathy for others to be like you know what at the end of the day and also I've trained celebrities and billionaires and I've trained moms and dads and school teachers who just really want to not be diabetic and I've given it to them pro bono like I just think no one's better or worse than anyone else we're all the same and the ability for me to relate to it. That's what I give it is my calling is humanity. I happen to chose personal training to choose that, but I see myself, I'm actively looking at doctorates in psychology now, and I see myself not limiting it to health and wellness, but how can I make an impact on basically lessening pain or the amount of time that it takes people to get over things? So yeah, I love training. I love fitness, but I don't think that's my calling. I think my calling is more helping people live a more meaningful life. And that's evolved out of the gym into more big picture. And I hope to keep expanding on that more and more to, again, not stop pain because pain is a tool, but help people deal with it in a healthier way rather than self-destruction. Yeah, I love that on so many levels because it is, I mean, there's these different avenues that we have been given or we've taken, but at the end of the day, how we choose to view life and our thoughts are essentially everything. And some people, you know, maybe it's through training that you work with them, but it's more of that psychology of everything that, that they can get beyond just the training from you that can help them shift their perspective and live, live a better life because we don't, we don't have to suffer, you know, No, we don't. We don't. So, and that's one of the things I've, I've always emphasized and I've really doubled down lately is like it's personal training. 
not only is it a person, a human, but it's also for you individually. So I don't have any cookie cutter programs. I've made a huge stance against I will never use AI for any of the people like for their programs or for nutrition or anything like some people can and I'm not knocking that method because it's mass market, but I'm in it not for the training and nutrition only. I'm, I'm in it to help the individual. I've also never taught a group class in my life. Like I'm not a group guy. I'm a one-on-one guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I think that's great because we all have our own bio-individuality. And, you know, I think that as, yeah, like just on that vein, like AI and this whole mass producing stuff, I think, I think part of the reason why people are struggling so much is because there's almost no individuality anymore right? Celebrating the individual and who they are on a deeper level. It's there's so much stuff that's surfaced, but I won't even go into that. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, um, I, I know what you mean, though. There's ever, everyone's fitting molds and there's these big, uh, yeah, like, do you fit this label? Or are you this or this big group thing? But like the individualism yeah. is being lost to the generality. And uh, it can be scary. Like you're your own person. You don't have to be like everybody else. Yeah. The goal is to not be like everyone else. And I mean, a hundred percent. I know when, you know, when I work with clients, it's one-on-one an initial session, I take two hours with people and I have my business coach. She's like, how can you mainstream that? How can you cut that back? And like, you know, your time. And I'm just like, like, I, I just, I'm like, I can't, I can't right now. Like I'm just what I'm called to do and I need to follow my calling. So I, I really appreciate you and the fact that you do really look at the individual and work with one-on-one because there's that art is becoming less and less. So, okay. I really wanted to jump in. Thank you for sharing with our listeners a little bit about you. And I mean, we could dive into so many different avenues of just everything you've already said, but in the intro, I promised them that we would talk about the four tips that you have to mastering, you know, that balance of work and wellness in life. And so if you could give them those four nuggets or a few of those nuggets that they could take with this. So I kind of use these, these tenets a lot in a lot of things that I teach people, because I think when you repeat the same thing, sure, it can be a little redundant, but also it's going to stick in your brain. So for me, everything begins with managing your priorities. That's step one. So like, sure, you have career goals and you have dating goals if you're single, or you have goals for your kids or goals for your body, but like, you cannot do everything at the same time. I do think you can do everything in life, but I don't think, in fact, I know that it's not possible to do it all at the same time. If you juggle, you're going to drop, right? You have to take patience and you have to have a a time set aside. So managing priorities and like aligning your values, that is again, not just something pop culture-y zeitgeisty. That's a real thing. Like what is your top priority? Is it your family? Is it your career? Is it your education? Okay. Well, make a list, like physically write down a list and then you'll know when you're doing things like, oh, am I sad? Am I depressed? Am I anxious? Okay. Well, almost all of the time, it's because you're not acting in accordance with the things that are most important to you and you're just feeling out of touch with yourself. So number one is manage priorities. And then, okay, let's put that into action. You can't just have this nebulous, random, okay, well, I put my priorities now, come at me universe. Like some people do that. And for everybody, you get luck and opportunities, but you're going to be a lot more efficient and effective if you plan stuff, regardless of if you're a lucky person or you can wing it you will do better if you plan it. And I know that because I was always the wing it guy. Lo and behold, I start planning. I'm like, oh crap, I'm even better. Like you can be better. So manage priorities is one. Manage your goals, like set up your alignment. Number two is manage your time. So actually plan things. Start writing down stuff on your calendar. 
your own workouts, your nutrition goals, your work stuff, family stuff, like putting stuff on a calendar makes it real. Neuroscience studies prove and show that not only does it become more real and important to you, you're also more likely to remember it and put more thought into it. So you'll have a greater outcome. So having like the priorities become real when you put them in actual time slot. Number three, I call it managed portions because a lot of the times I'm doing nutrition stuff with clients, but portions doesn't just mean your food, although that's an easy way to illustrate it, right? Like a healthy plate, if you look at it, your portions should be that you have some protein, you have some vegetables or fruit or something, and you have some grain or something of some sort. You know, people always talk about the colorful plate, but that's true. And if you looked at a plate and it was all veggies, you'd be like, mm, something's missing. If you looked at a plate, it was one giant steak or one huge plate of rice, you'd be like, mm, something's missing. So managing the quote unquote portions of your life in terms of balancing, okay, I have this health and fitness goal and I put it on my calendar, but okay, it's taking up three hours and I haven't chucked my kid into work or I haven't had a date with my significant other, or I have so many friends right now who are awesome, beautiful people, men, women, non-binary, whatever. They're single and they're like, why can't I find my person? Well, they're never trying to, they're not out anywhere. They're not trying to meet people. They're not asking to meet people. They say, I hate the app. So they're not on the app. So well, you can't find something that you're not giving a portion to, that you're not allotting for. So that portion imagery, you can apply to whatever you want. And again, they all connect, right? Your priorities and your goals from number one into your time. Okay, well, now are you actually putting that? Are you actually working towards it? That's the portions. And then the fourth one is manage expectations. And so that is, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. So if you start working out, or you start eating healthy, or you start dating, you start whatever. And if you're pissed by a week and two weeks from now, why you don't have your dream body or your dream partner, or why you don't have a million dollars, like, oh, I registered the LLC and I started my own company. I'm going to be an entrepreneur or an influencer or whatever. That's great. I'm not knocking that, but it's not going to work out for you in a week or two, right? Manage your expectations. Set a micro goal. By the end of a month, I want 10 users. I want to make $1,000 on my first side hustle. Okay, hit that goal. All right. The first goal before we blow it up is, can you do it twice in a row? Can we replicate it? All right. If you hit a thousand bucks again the next month, or you get another date, or you're still seeing that person, or you've added 10 pounds to your bench press, then increase the goal and do it bit by bit. And I love Atomic Habits, that James Clear book, where he's like, you know what? Yeah. 1% every day is infinitely better than 10% today, 100% tomorrow, burnout, quit for two weeks, restart. Like, we don't have to do yeah. crazy stuff. We just have to show up and do the work. So those are the four. Manage your priorities, manage your time, manage your portions, and manage your expectations. I love that. And it's it's literally going back to basics. And I think that this is a great reminder because we live in this, you know, Instagram instant gratification yes, yes. culture. And it was funny, I was having a meeting the other day with a few of my employees and we were talking and, you know, like I just had bought a building a year ago and we moved from like 750 square feet to 2,500 square feet. So we have this big, beautiful wellness center here in Bakersfield, California. And, you know, people come in and I hear comments. It's like, oh gosh, this would be so cool to have. Oh, it, it's so nice that she has this. And and then there's comments too that, oh, if I had the money to do this. And it's like, listen, this is 20 years in the <laughs> making, right? Yep. Like we're comparing oh. somebody's, you know, somebody's who is reaching their dreams and living their dream life that took them 20 years to get to. Yes. 
and we're thinking, oh, well, I just need to throw up an Instagram page and a YouTube channel and uh-huh. that LLC and, you know, just get one viral video. And it's, it's, yeah. you know, it's just, I think that expectation, you know, it's, it's very- yeah, social media really has skewed. And I mean, not two hours ago, I was having this exact discussion with someone in the gym who's saying she was having a hard time finding clients. And I was like, look, you're lovely, you're talented, you're really knowledgeable, you're likable, you're good looking, so you're going to attract clients. But I'm like, you're at year two of this. I'm like, one of my pet peeves, I, I try to take it in stride, but I'm like, oh man, like you've really blown up lately. Or like, hey, you trained this celebrity so-and-so or your book came out and they treat me as if I got lucky or it's because I'm handsome or something. I'm like, look, I appreciate the compliment. <laughs> sure, thank you. But I have also right. been working my ass off for 18 years since I was yeah. legally 18 doing this uh-huh. job. I have passion for it. I went through cancer, hell and back to get there, like people and health. And like, I don't think you'd want to trade me to get to where I am. I don't think it, I don't think it's as simple as you think, same as you, that 20 years. So it's like, you kind of take it and it feels like a little like slap in the face. Like, oh, thank you. But also you're like, no, no, this took so much work and effort. It just happens to look like it's showing up all of a sudden. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the other thing is too, is, you know, those of us that have, you know, aged and went through life and had more life experiences, you know, it can, maybe we make it look a little easier, right? Because we've done it enough times or we've made so many mistakes that, you know, it's, it's afforded us all these lessons. And I think that people forget that it's all about that process that is going to change you and make you evolve. It's not about that, that destination. So so I love that. Prioritize, manage your time, get those portions under control and set those expectations and work on those expectations. I think that's important. And then, you know, really the portion aspect, you talk about how there's a dark side of working out too much and eating too healthy. And I just wanted to know, what do you mean by that? If, if you could share with everybody? Yeah. So what got me into fitness when I was, I was 14 years old, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was super depressed because I, my dad died when I was 11. I didn't really have like a dad figure. I had an older brother, but like, I didn't think about it. I just kind of life goes on, but I was like, oh man, like I'm sad. And I don't have a dad to ask for help or like the silly things you think of, but they're not so silly. Like teach you how to shave, talk to you about girls. And then my mom was the best angel person on the world, but like a very proper and still quite religious and like picture like a posh British lady that doesn't talk about emotions or things that are like unspeakable. (laughs) And that's my mom, like sweet as can be, but you couldn't say sex or penis or like, or ask a question, you know? So all that to say that I got into it because my brother started lifting and we were like, oh my gosh, bodybuilding, bodybuilding, Arnold Schwarzenegger watching Pumping Iron. Of course, you get hugely into it. And then you realize that all of these people who look quote unquote, perfectly healthy on the outside, they're all taking insane amounts of steroids, both of them, women as well as men. And they're working out four hours a day. They look like Greek gods on the outside, but their blood work is dying. Most of them have eating disorders or plain addiction, some even with other substances as well. But more than anything, it's like the dark side is that as you grow up and you have these things, if you don't learn how to balance them, I can't tell you how many people have lost their families or are in marital strife or didn't show up to their kids' games because they're like their self-image and their body image and their orthorexia, there's so many different avenues and social media has made it a hundredfold so much, so much worse. People are having crazy unrealistic expectations So that's the dark side. A, there's completely unrealistic expectations of people saying I'm natural and I just take this protein and this tummy tea when really it's all surgery and steroids and stuff. And I also make clear to put on my Instagram, 
I'm okay with personal choice. I'm okay if people want to bodybuild and they want to do their things. And even if they want to take steroids or peptides or whatever, like personal choice, but be honest, be open. It really bothers me when somebody says, I work super hard and that's why I have this body when it's like, oh, well, no, you also have a million chemicals helping you. And now all the natural teenagers and all the moms who just had babies and all the people who X, Y, Z are working out and they feel less and less and less and less and smaller and smaller and not enough because they look nowhere near as good as you because they're not getting the help that takes A, lots of money and B, these taboo things that they don't want to talk about. So I do see the value in both sides. And I see a lot of people rationalizing, well, it's better to have a fitness addiction than be an alcoholic or addicted to drugs. But at the end of the day, relationships fall apart. Some of the you know hottest slash most beautiful people I've known, and again, I've trained many celebrities, models, etc., are super insecure. Things as much as like they will like sleep with people with their clothes on, or they eat like food out of their pocket, like these really mm-hmm. not okay human behaviors. And more than anything, I'm not upset about it. It just breaks my heart that there's all of these people who on the outside are showing like everything's great. And on the inside, they are just really asking for help. And no one knows it because they can't ask for help because then it destroys this image that they're perfect, right? And so that was all relegated only to the celebrity world. And now social media has put that to all the teenagers. I mean, I go to my gym and there's 16 year old guys and girls that are looking like super fitness models. The guys are benching 350. The girls, like I'm convinced have had like plastic surgery already or like unnaturally, like it's just completely different than 20 years ago when I was in high school to a factor of 10. It's, it's wild and it's not healthy and it's robbing people of actual life and reality. And it's, it's heartbreaking and also a little bit maddening. And a lot of people are lying about it, a lot of hypocrites, and then a lot of people are victims and it's big, messy pool. So I don't know what to do to how to fix it, but I do like to bring it up because I like my clients to be aware. I'm like, oh, yeah, so-and-so is probably taking X, Y, Z. There's the Ozempic kind of thing going on right now. Again, people make choices, but don't lose a bunch of weight and then tell your friend the opposite and judge them when really you're taking the thing. Don't be a guy over 45 who started testosterone therapy and all these things. Good for you. And then tell your friend he's fat, like just just work harder, just work harder. Well, it's a lot easier to work harder when your testosterone's a thousand instead of 200. Like, yeah. you know, it's just people tell half truths and it's killing everybody. Yeah. I mean, 110% everything you just said. I mean, I am just so grateful. I really looking back, I would say I had body dysmorphia myself. And that was in part to, I'm grateful that I did not grow up with social media. I thank God for that every day. And, but what I did have was, you know, People magazine and all these magazines, you go through the checkout lanes and you would see these airbrushed 18, 19 year olds or 20 or 30 year olds and their bodies were perfect and their skin was yep. perfect. And I literally, in my developing brain, I thought to be happy and for people to love me, that's what I had to look like. And so, yeah. I mean, that was just, you know, magazines. So I am just like floored. And it's just incredible how many people, I mean, average people that I have come into my office that are so, yeah, it's like body dysmorphia. It's dysmorphia on so many levels because they're comparing themselves to fake things that are out there and the 1% of somebody else's life that is fantastic. And then even to your point, I mean, I've had very, very successful people that come in here and it's amazing how insecure they are and the issues that they struggle with. And most people would look at them and say, well, what are they struggling with? They have everything. Yeah, what could, what could you possibly yeah. have to worry about or complain about? <laughs> right. you know? We're all more alike than we are different. We're that all people. Is, yeah. Yeah. 
That's for sure. So I think that for everybody listening, yeah, it's it's important that we take a step back and realize that, you know, nobody's life is perfect. We're all supposed to have struggles in our life. That is what gives us character. That's what gives us individuality. And that's what gives us that humanity and that compassion for each other. And it's really important. So yeah, I appreciate you sharing that because I think we need to talk about that more and more. Yeah. And I think it all just like, you know, it comes back to basics. Like it sounds so cliche, but like eat well, sleep well, have community, take care of each other, say nice things, you know, and in this podcast, the social media world, everyone's trying to optimize it. Everyone's for some reason, everyone's in a sauna and an ice bath and taking NAD plus drips and doing all of these like 1% things. And yet I'm like, did you sleep last night? Did you not drink five beers or five glasses of wine? Like no one's doing the basic stuff. Everyone's doing all these like optimization, super biohacking, which is in my opinion, completely useless unless you've already mastered the other things. If, if you're living a great life and you're healthy and you have friends and family and you're mentally and physically sound and you're sleeping and you're doing this, cool. Those things will help you. But if you're just somebody who's like, struggling to get by don't spend your time and money on these things that make like sleeping an hour a day and calling a friend or going to therapy or going to the gym are going to help you 10 times more than taking just like a supplement to fix you that's a band-aid or to try to make up for a bad lifestyle not to put that in a place of judgment but having been that person myself like instead of taking free workout to go do a workout every day how about i just sleep better and take better care of myself instead of taking you know things like they certainly and absolutely do have a place and they can help, but nothing will make up for bad habits. And we have to take care of ourselves so that we can live a healthy life and take care of other people. And then the biohacking and the supplements and everything else will help us get there. And I just think back to basics, like we just need to take care of each other, take care of ourselves and not make it so complicated. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I used to be that person that would wake up and run like eight to 12 miles every day and count every calorie and I would get four hours of sleep. And I mean, I just look back at it and I cringe and I did that for years. And now yeah, I, was, I was there myself. I feel you. <laughs> yep. I work out way less now. I make sure I get sleep. If I don't get at least six hours of sleep and that is the bare minimum, I don't get up and I don't, I don't wake up early to go for a walk or get up early to do anything. I allow myself to sleep in and then I fit in, you know, can I get in a few minutes of movement later in the day? And I don't even count my calories anymore. I I couldn't tell you how many calories I eat. I just eat real food and just try to be healthy. And if I want to have a cookie, I'll have a cookie. And, you know, it's literally, yeah, it's just, again, it's just finding that balance. And I think it, when it goes to that obsession and you're constantly hyper-focused on exercise or eating or, you know, anything that you hyper-focus on that takes away from, like you said, those portions and, you know, time away from family and friends and things like that. It can become very destructive. Yeah, I agree with that. That's hopefully something, I think discussions just like, you know, we're having right now and just letting more people be aware that like, being human and, and having strengths, but also weaknesses and being vulnerable and talking, asking for help and also having goals and like it all goes hand in hand and you're going to have ups and downs. It's just the illusion of perfection is, is crippling society. And so being, you know, an expert in my field of fitness and nutrition lately, I've been just trying to push back on so much I see out there is this be perfect optimization culture. I'm like, buddy, 99% of us are just trying to get through the day not with a fake smile, but a real smile and have some purpose and meaning. Let's, let's worry about the big stuff and get that under control. And so I'm grateful we get to, you know, talk about these things together today. 
Yeah, absolutely. So good and so much great information. Phil, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. And can you share with everyone where they can follow you or reach out to you? My pleasure. Thank you, Anna. Yeah, so really lucky another Phil didn't claim it first, but I'm trained by Phil, trained past tense, trained by Phil everywhere. I'm way more responsive. Instagram is my platform. So if you follow that trained by Phil or my website, trainedbyphil.com. I do consults. I do one-on-one. I do group stuff. I do corporate stuff. So anything to do with fitness, nutrition, wellness, all that, I'm your guy. And I do lots of Q and A's and like group free stuff and whatever. Like I'm just trying to, you know, put out my message. So reach out if you need anything and I will be happy to help. Awesome. Thank you so much, Phil. And we will talk to everybody else soon. Stay tuned for the next episode. Thanks for joining us today, you guys, on this Happy Whole You podcast. We are so stoked that you are listening. And if you have questions or want to reach out to us, you can always email us at info at happyholeyou.com. And you know where to find us at Happy Whole You on Facebook and at Happy Whole You on Instagram. So have a wonderful day. Have a great week. And we will see you soon.